Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today, we're talking about shamanism with Mark Nelson, our guest today. Um, Mark is originally from England, but left as a baby and traveled the world before landing in Hong Kong 28 years ago. He was called to shamanism through visionary experiences when he was young and later experienced the classic signs of a spiritual calling. He studied with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies and later with shamans and shamanic practitioners across the world. A focus of his work is female empowerment. He will be talking about his new book, Shamanism, which is the book he wrote um, that he would have liked to have had at the beginning of his journey. Welcome to the show, Mark. I'm so glad to have you here and to be talking about shamanism. Thank you very much, Bob. I really enjoyed the book. And as I told you before we got on, I read it in the wrong way. I sat down and read it. (laughs) And it it is meant to be experienced, not to be read straight through the way I did. But each part, I can't even call them chapters, each part is meant to be utilized and experienced, which is great. But um, what finally got you to write the book? I mean, you had all that information for a long time before you finally shared. Indeed. I'd been teaching people for maybe about 10 years, and I had a lot of material that I'd been keeping um, for research purposes initially, and then obviously uh, with the idea of perhaps um, trying to put it into book form. That took some time to do that, Um, took maybe five years uh, to write from start to end. And I sort of picked it up and put it down again a few times, as most people writing do, and Mm -hmm. finally, finally sent it off and got it finished. So which is good. Congratulations. Um, That's a big undertaking, the book. And your book is so full of information that uh, you can easily get lost. You can easily take a chapter and that's the whole book. (laughs) So. is shamanism applicable to the modern world, to today's world? Yes, I believe it is. And if we look at the history of shamanism, first of all, it's very old. So we can see from rock carving and uh, um, statuary and early art forms that it's been around for, let's say, 70,000 years, probably longer, actually. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to us over time through all of the spiritual traditions through our mythology, through the religions, obviously, and through other spiritual practices. So you can see the echoes of shamanic ritual, shamanic practice in uh, all of the major religions. Um, um, Certainly, you know, Buddhism, uh, Taoism, uh, Christianity, uh, even um, Islam to a slightly lesser extent, but you can see the echoes in, in all of the main traditions. So it's something that is in our collective unconscious. So we're familiar with this. We understand something about shamanism, uh, its role in community and the role of people who are shamans or an equivalent named individual, um, be that male or female, of course. Um, Shamanism has had a bit of a resurgence since, let's say, the 1950s, and that's largely due to the work of some of the American authors, so people like Michael Harner in particular, who have reintroduced shamanic ideas and shamanic uh, ceremonial practice and rituals to the modern audience, 
Um, shamanism had obviously been um, sort of subdued for a while, should we say, by the organized religions and uh, um, along with other traditions and, and had sort of fallen a little bit into disuse, if you like. Um, since the 1950s, 1960s, there's been a big uptake in interest um, by people all over the world, actually. So it's, it's a global phenomenon. And the widespread availability of books and workshops and courses and the ability to easily travel across the world and meet people who are practicing um, shamans uh, or medicine folks is uh, you know, one of the main reasons that people are starting to uh, get actively involved in this as well. Um, either practicing what is known as core shamanism, which is transversal uh, across cultures, or indeed getting involved with some of the indigenous forms of shamanism, such as Andean shamanism, which a lot of people I know in the States are involved in, and uh, you know, I've been with them to South America and experienced some of that tradition as well. So yes, I think it's very applicable to the modern world. And you know, um, Why did some the, of the interest ritual... come back up? Why did people become interested again? It, it's partly a reaction to the modern economic world, partly uh, longing for attachment to the environment, partly a disillusionment to some extent with some of the organized religions. And as I said, you know, the availability of material about it uh, in a way that just wasn't there before, unless you were working as a, an anthropologist, say, where you would have access to the research material. But it wasn't really until Merche Aliadi wrote his classic book, Shamanism, which again was 1950s, uh, that really we started seeing this resurgence. And so I date it from the 1950s. Has it, uh, well, let me ask this question first. Why did we ever go away from it? Since it seems almost innate in our DNA somewhere. But why did we ever go away from it? So it's to do with our evolution from a, um, um, a society that essentially follows animals around, which is called technically transhumans. And obviously early tribal peoples did exactly that. So the animals migrated and they migrated with the animals. With the advent of uh, organized agriculture, then cities formed, the modern economic systems that came into being, and the views towards what we as humans were and how we treated the environment in particular changed. And so some of these old ways of thinking, being in community, being familiar with those sorts of ceremonial practices happening you know, through generations and, and over long periods of time, um, a lot of that sort of started to disappear. And so that is why it waned to some extent. Uh, there are other factors as well, of course, um, but not just shamanism, it affected other um, spiritual practices as well. And, you know, that, that resurgence uh, also affects the other practices in addition to shamanism. What's the difference between shamanism, paganism, witchcraft, magic? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's a, a very big question, a very interesting one. Um, so essentially, that they're, they're all linked. So we can say that um, shamanism comes in many forms. So there's a traditional shamanism. If you were working in a religion, say Mongolian shamanism or Siberian, um, you would then say that that is shamanism you know, um, um, as it was historically practiced. What we also have is um, forms of shamanism, which are collectively termed neo-shamanism. And this comes under the wider umbrella of neo-paganism, which would also include 
uh, modern forms of Norse practice in Asatru would include Wicca, would include uh, modern forms of witchcraft as opposed to traditional witchcraft, and some types of magic, although ceremonial magic and other types of magic obviously have their own um, history uh, as well. So it's, it's a sort of complex area. There is some overlap between these things as well. Um, there is a huge overlap between shamanism and magic um, for a start. There's also a big overlap between shamanism and psychology, uh, which makes it an interesting field with uh, these extensions that are fascinating actually to look at sometimes. And if you talk to people who practice several things, you know, they, they recognize the fact that what we're doing is very similar sometimes. What changes is the symbols we're using, the names of the deities perhaps, uh, the way certain things are done, certain healing types are specific to some types of work, but there is a huge area of overlap. And I have friends who are pagans or Wiccans or who are doing ceremonial magic. And so I understand what they're doing and vice versa. And, and we understand the areas of overlap and the areas of difference. Um, I, I believe that all of these things are valid ways of working, valid spiritual traditions, and we can learn a lot from each other as, as with other matters. How uh, dangerous is it to take pieces and play with them and do them yourself? <laughs> I, I might be jumping my head, and if I am, just pull me back to the beginning if you'd prefer to discuss this uh, a different no, way. No, no, sure, that's fine. Um, so... Um, it's like anything else, it can be dangerous depending upon what you're doing. Uh, there are obviously many different types of spirit. The way that you interact with the spiritual world um, can take different forms, and some of those will have you know, a very beneficial outcome, others not so much. So it depends to some extent upon how you're interacting, what your intention is, and what type of spirits that you're working with. With shamanism, we work in two main ways. Uh, one is using various means to induce what is known as the shamanic journey, which is an altered state of consciousness where you are able to perceive and travel to the spirit world and work with spirit directly. And if we're working in certain locations in spirit with certain types of spirit who are compassionate, there is generally no issue with doing that. So with some instruction, uh, it is possible to do that work relatively safely. Like um, all types of work, I would recommend always working within a ceremonial context, um, sort of taking some basic steps such as clearing yourself, such as forming um, sacred space. And, uh, you know, there are many ways of doing that and lots of uh, instructional sources on the web for how to do exactly that. So if you're working that way, that's fine. The other main way of working with spirit is through uh, what we would call merging, or you might refer to as voluntary possession. And then obviously that is a, a different sort of uh, way of working and that has certain other types of inherent risk with it as well. So you really need to know what you're doing there. And so we wouldn't recommend doing that work as, as a beginner uh, or unless you've had some tuition from people that are very familiar with that type of working. So I think generally, if people are working with somebody who is an authentic uh, practitioner or, or indeed shaman, uh, who has been initiated, who understands how to do this work and how to do ceremony properly, then, uh, it, then there won't generally be an issue. 
people who are experimenting with stuff on their own can inadvertently put themselves not at risk per se, but they may have some quite un unpleasant or even scary experiences. And so I would always recommend um, trying to sort of do this with human teachers initially, but most of the teaching and certainly initiation in shamanism is actually done by the spirits, not by human teachers anyway. And um, here you're suggesting human teachers, but your book is really written for the solo practitioner and for the, the newbie, the one that wants to start um, to work, to do this work, but is not in a position or does not choose to get it, to go to classes or to get human teachers. Indeed. Yeah, and and, and actually it's very good. Well, I, I didn't do it step by step, <laughs> but it seems like I want to. It was just a matter of time, but it looks like it's really set up for the person to 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 do this on their own. And yeah. um, which I thought was great because there are just um, so many people can't or don't have a teacher available or whatever. Um, first, I want to ask, what is the difference between ceremony and ritual? So the way I often describe it is that ceremony is a container into which you can put certain types of practice, i.e. rituals. So a ceremony usually has a structure. So it will have a, uh, you would start by creating some form of sacred space and clearing that, preparing yourself. You would uh, call in spirits. You would then do a number of rituals uh, for which you're setting intentions. You are typically raising energy through that process as well. Um, you then at the end of that would sort of release the spirits that have been involved in doing that work. You would clear down the sacred space and you would additionally energetically and physically clear the area you've been working in. So that's ceremony. Within the ceremony, I can then do different types of ritual. So I could do some divination, for instance, or I could do healing, um, or I could do various other types of work with uh, individuals which are more uh, experiential or teaching in nature. And I could do multiple um, types of ritual within one ceremony. So we can get the idea that ceremony is one thing within that there can be one or more things that are happening which are more uh, work-based, if you like, want of a better term. And that's probably the best way to think about the distinction between the two. It's a great way to do it. And the, and the ceremony, um, the clearing, the altar, all of that can be both physical and spiritual or spiritual. Yes. It's, so it's both. Can... Yeah, it's both. Yeah. So if you're, let's say you're working with um, a frankincense or something, I, I won't recommend sage because there are certain restrictions to using sage as you're probably aware from uh, you know, First Nations people. Um, but if you're working with a herb which can clear, it will typically have the dual effect of clearing physical space and it will also clear spiritually or energetically in addition. So if you're using something, and frankincense is a good all-purpose um, um, you know, uh, uh, incense to use, to be honest with you. And if you're doing that, you will succeed effectively in clearing. Uh, the most important thing, though, is to also have the intention that you want the smoke to clear the space that you're working in. So as we've all worked, intention is a very large part of what we do. And uh, it's the basis for uh, all other types of work uh, as well. So if you're doing magical work, the intention is, is the most important component to it in, in some sense. The, um, the merging, um, that always kind of worries me. <laughs> um, mostly because do you get out clean? 
you know, I, I see, I see empaths that merge with other people and they, they don't often come out clean. They come out kind of foggy, not knowing which is them, which is the other person. They, they don't seem to get away with it. Well, (laughs) and when you talk about merging, that's where my mind went to is, is, um, almost a violation, to be honest, when, when you're merging with somebody else like that. So there are different types of working with merging. And uh, obviously the way that we do it in shamanism is slightly different. So we would use uh, merging or you know, voluntary possession in, in different types of healing, for instance. So in the basic form of healing called extraction, and in that you are typically merged with a spirit to actually do that work. And, uh, and again, in the same way that um, you know, the spirits do the teaching rather than the humans, they're also actually doing the healing. So when I'm working as a healer in quotes, I'm actually, you know, uh, engaging with spirits and it's the spirits that are really doing the healing, not me. Um, so that, that's, that's one, one aspect of that. The types of spirits that we use are usually spirits that we're very familiar with as well. So we've, we've got a long-standing relationship that we know intuitively that it is that spirit. And if we call to a spirit, that spirit will come to us. So a combination of familiarity, uh, our intuition, um, our discernment about the type of entity that we're working with leads us to be able to do that work in a, in a relatively safe way. The other way of doing this work as well is to, first of all, be possessed by one of your helping spirits and then bring another spirit in. So in some sense, then your helping spirit is acting almost as a bodyguard uh, in, in that sort of scenario. How do we find our spirits? <laughs> Big question. <laughs> Indeed. So the, the most common... Or do you, ritual... you know what? Before we go into that, do sure. you want to do the tools first? Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah what's can... best? Okay. Because so my mind tools. will bring us, you know, my curiosity <laughs> will bring us all over the place. <laughs> no so. problem. No problem. So with the tools, we're mainly interested in the tools that facilitate this journey state that I was talking about earlier. And the most common way of doing that is the drum. So we're either playing a drum or listening to somebody else play a live drum, which is the best way to do it, or listening to a recording. And there are many recordings of of drums available. There are drum apps you can easily download onto your phone. And the way to use those is to listen to that through stereo headphones so you get a, a fuller sonic effect. And if you're listening to drums in that manner, Um, lying down in a darkened space, then you're setting the conditions to actually be able to have that out-of-body or or trance-like experience. And that is the basis for doing the shamanic journey. You're then sort of journeying to a location with intention, having created the potential to do that uh, through the use of, of what's called a sonic drive of the drums in this case. Now we can use all sorts of other types of musical instruments or other rhythmic types of patterns be that chanting or singing or uh, bells, dancing will also put you into the same sort of state sometimes as people who dance probably know very well. Uh, So there are a number of ways of actually using those basic tools. The other tools that we typically use be things like rattles, which have, again, can be used to induce the journey state, but are used, used in healing quite a lot. 
uh, we tend not to use tools like wands in the cross-cultural shamanism, although you use them in specific cultural um, variations. So the most common tools that, that we would use would be the drum and the rattle probably. And then beyond that, um, it'll be things like uh, amulets and talismans, which again are used in different types of practice as well or indeed different types of plants or crystals which have um, particular utility in certain types of healing or in certain other types of ritual. So those are the main tools that we would use. Um, we don't need a whole paraphernalia uh, of tools, although you, you, you can uh, go that way as well. And I certainly have a lot of tools I don't use regularly. Uh, I've collected over the years, but the main ones are the ones I mentioned. Which... Um like crystals which trumps your mind your knowledge what you've read well this crystal should do this or your intuition your gut i would say your intuition um okay. if you look online for interpretation of um where and how you would use a crystal or a herb um or any of these other correspondences you will see many different answers and, That's why I was and, asking, and, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and something it's like um, if you go into a dream dictionary, you'll, you'll see different interpretations to things, not all of which will be meaningful to you. We were talking about personal symbology before we started, and, and so those symbols are specific to you to some extent. Um, that doesn't mean to say that the interpretation, interpretations that people are given are incorrect in, in any sense. It's just that different people will feel that they have utility in a particular setting. And so that leads to this um, large number of correspondences that they have. But certainly the best way is for you to use your intuition. Um, a good general rule is that quartz is, is um, as, almost like a master crystal to shamanic work. And so- And that's clear, clear quartz? Yeah, clear quartz. And so that's yeah. a good standby to use as a general purpose crystal. Other types of crystal have particular purposes in terms of healing or grounding or indeed sort of um, putting you more in touch with spirit. Um, but quartz is a all-purpose, if you like, general one, which I, I would recommend for anybody to use for just about any intention. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, I'm reading. Because <laughs> I want to go into spirit animals. Um, how to not spirit animals, but your spirits. Um, yeah. And in that you've got spirit animals and all of that. So I want to go into that. Um, but I wanted to know if that's, you know, is this where we should go next? There is sure. so much sure. information in this book that, sure. you know, I could be all over the book and, and in the end, not have it make much sense. <laughs> so so is, we, yeah, that, that's fine. We, we started discussing that earlier. So that, mm -hmm. let's continue that theme. So okay. the way that most people are introduced to spirits is through the ritual known as power animal retrieval. And so if you go for any form of introductory shamanic uh, course or workshop, you will typically have somebody do a power animal retrieval for you. And that's the way that most people meet their first helping spirit. So Some somebody people, does it for you. Yes, you don't indeed. really yeah, do it yeah, yourself. Yeah. Okay. You don't do that yourself. Although again, in the book, I explain how you can do that for yourself. And mm -hmm. 
Um, the reason that we steered the book that way, there was a long discussion with Llewellyn about this actually, um, they wanted something that, that people could use to do some of these rituals themselves. And some of them traditionally, um, you wouldn't, they had to tailor some of them slightly to make it amenable to uh, people to use as a solo practitioner. So your power animal introduced the first spirit that you meet, and then the power animal will typically introduce you to other spirits. So that, that's a, a common way of working. But you will meet a number of different types of spirits. You will meet spirits that are um, sometimes ancestors um, who have fully crossed over to, to uh, where they're supposed to be in the spirit world. You will meet teaching spirits. You will meet um, spirits that are uh, essentially going to give you healing. And they may be very specific to one particular form of healing as well. Or they will work with you to teach you and to teach you how to do ritual work in uh, normal reality. And again, they may be generalist or they may be uh, specialist um, teaching spirits. Um, spirits will also do initiation for individuals. And, uh, you know, again, that's the other type of one that we commonly deal with. In spirit, um, let's say we're working in the lower world, which is not hell, uh, of course. Um, uh, the shamanic um, cosmology is lower world, middle world, upper world. Um, the middle world is the spiritual equivalent to the physical reality world that we live in, if you like. And the other two only have um, spiritual uh, dimensions to them. So the lower world is where we would often meet nature spirits, ancestors, um, fairies, um, animals, um, power plants. So those sorts of spirits we would typically work with in the lower world, although this is not a hard and fast rule. And in the upper world, we would typically work more with um, spirits that present themselves in human form. They may not be human, uh, but the spirits will take on the guise that makes us feel comfortable or makes it easier to work with them. Um, or we indeed would work with deities, um, potentially in the upper world as well, or uh, people who are ascended spirits. So um, the power animals and those other spirits can actually move anywhere. So making this mm -hmm. distinction is a broad brush approach, but it's generally correct. So the more work you do, the more spirits that you meet, uh, the more power animals you get typically as well. I have four, um, one of which I only work with uh, one very specialist type of healing. Uh, and the other three I work with more normally. And I have a, a number of teaching spirits that I have worked with over the years. I have a uh, um, Arabic um, teaching spirit that I, I, I don't work with as much as I should. Um, and I have other spirits that I've uh, worked with more frequently over the years. And again, for slightly different purposes. So they will sort of come, if I'm doing a particular type of work, uh, there'll usually be a certain spirit there. Um, I've also worked with some very good human teachers as well. Well, actually, and uh, uh, on know, this so, side um, of the veil, or the other on, side, <laughs> on, on, on this side of the veil. So, yeah. um, so there are some extraordinarily good teachers out there. Uh, my main teacher, uh, Lissy Lingusgate, passed unfortunately now, um, but you know there are some excellent teachers out there. Um, Sandra Ingerman, Bessie Bergstrom, Christina Pratt. So you know the um, names that people who do this sort of work be very familiar with, and they're easy to find, and people they recommend. Um, you know, would also be uh, good people to work with. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about spirits, your spirit um, teacher. And I want to know if you get one main one and then others. But we'll be right back to talk about that. <music> Thank you. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One thing's for certain. Life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to a view through the veil at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hi, we're back with Mark Nelson and we're talking about shamanism. And we've been talking about um, our picking our spirit while working, um, doing shamanic work. And I want to know if we have one main spirit that we work with and then we have specialties that like a healing spirit or, and I also want to talk about the animal spirits, which are um, so important. The power animals that so important in your, your work and in your book. So that was a lot. That was a mouthful to throw on you. (laughs) Let's start with, is there one major power spirit that we work with? That is just for us kind of thing. It depends on the individual. Um, so different people have a preference to work with one main teaching spirit, for instance. Other people are quite happy working with more than one. And those spirits obviously work with multiple people. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a many-to-many relationship, if you like. Um, I, I obviously wouldn't say I have a favourite spirit that I work with, um, but but certain spirits you tend to work with more frequently. Um, so, for instance, Do you have it, a spirit that's come to you that you do not like? And can you reject your your spirit that you know, like your main spirit or your power spirit? So, with the power animal, the conventional wisdom is no that you should accept the animal that is retrieved for you. Um, and uh, some people have a preference, and they're disappointed when it's not the animal they thought it was. But all animals have different traits, different abilities different forms of power, different teachings that they can give you. And, and they, you know, they all have a, a purpose and they all have real value. So what I would say is don't be, you know, disappointed or don't, you know, feel you need to reject an animal if it's not the one that you actually wanted. So the, the animals, are, as we were saying earlier, usually the first um, type of spirit that you work with. And then they do... Um, have this role of introducing you to other spirits that you can then sort of work with uh, if you wanted a teaching spirit or a healing spirit for a particular healing modality you would ask the power animal to take you to them and then they will uh, take you there often flying you actually as well whether they fly or not is a, a you know the, the real world animal so they they have this um, uh, multiple um, sort of abilities they are acting as uh, protectors transport mechanism teachers in their own rights and they're also uh, are there to introduce you to the other spirits. 
the other spirits and the paranormals themselves may stay with you your whole life, or they may come and go depending upon what you need at a particular point in time or what types of wisdom uh, or, or knowledge would be appropriate for you to, to be able to access. So there isn't a um, hard and fast answer to the question that you asked. Uh, it depends <laughs> slightly on the individuals, but most people will have more than one paranormal. Although they will have one main one, they tend to work with more. Um, so I tend to work more with the eagle, for instance, than other animals, but I wouldn't tell my wolf that. Or, or, um, <laughs> so uh, they, they, they are used for different things, um, typically. And in terms of teachers, I work with a number of teachers, some of whom are deities, some are not. And, uh, um, you know, they, they all have great value and wonderful lessons to teach. This is a hard one. How do you trust yourself when you're doing this? How do you in, know that this is coming from the other side, not from you're just making it up? Yeah. So uh, uh, that's a question that a lot of people ask when they start doing this work. Um, um, uh, uh, the number of times that comes up in, in beginning classes is, is uh, you know, quite, quite, quite amusing, actually. Um, so there, there are sort of some standard answers that we give to this. You know, one is that uh, uh, for now, just go with it because, uh, you know, try it and see and, and it will have more meaning for you over time. Um, the other thing that we often say to people is, well, you're, you're making it all up anyway. You're co-creating what you view as reality with, you know, whatever you view as the creator with, you know, master spirits continuously. So just make up a little bit more, won't make too much difference. And, uh, uh, and, and that's quite <laughs> a flip answer. Um, the other one that uh, always makes people uh, laugh as well is that, uh, um, you know, you're not making it up when you start getting answers that you don't like. <laughs> that's always good a good touchstone right <laughs> do you ever go back and say "Ooh, don't like that one give me another <laughs> <laughs> so um can you briefly take us on a journey and um and okay so now this is gonna get crazy because there's a seat of power there's shadow work there's so much so um can you take us on a brief journey of how people kind of do it? Sure. So, so what I can do is just explain a journey rather than take the collective audience on a journey, which yeah, wouldn't that... be entirely appropriate to do. Um, <laughs> so uh, um, let me describe a typical journey that we would do. So let's say that somebody has had an introductory course and they've had their power animal sort of retrieve for them. And the next thing that we want to do is to get them in touch with various aspects of shamanic power so that then they're more empowered and they're more able to do other types of work, including healing uh, themselves. So what we would then do would be we would set an intention for um, your power animal to take you or for you to go of your own volition to a location that we would usually call your power place or your um, sacred um, you know, temple. You know, we, we can use various terms to describe it, but mm -hmm. essentially they understand somewhere that they're going to be empowered or they're going to receive power potentially. Now that location will appear differently to different people, but very commonly there are trees present in that place. It's quite amusing how often a tree actually turns up in somebody's power place. Um, and then we would uh, invite them uh, and, and have sort of 
pre-sort of said to them, um, you may want to consider doing the following types of things when you get there. So usually there's some sort of object that we invite them to interact with. So uh, one variation of this journey is to go to their seat of power. And very often the seat of power presents itself as a, an actual seat. So whether it's a throne or a, a less grandiose seat. And a lot of people will wander around and look at the seat of power and do all sorts of stuff um, other than actually sit in it, of course, which is the main, main idea. So we're trying to get them to interact with the power um, symbolically. So if they're with a tree, one of the things that people often do of their own volition is they'll actually merge with the tree, uh, become one with it and experience themselves extending so they can feel um, you know, their legs growing down into the roots and they can feel themselves growing up and out of the top of the tree. Um, and that leads to this wonderful um, sensation of connection with the universe. It's, it's a very, very powerful journey actually. Um, so those sorts of journeys, they're starting to experience aspects of their power and symbols of power. And we also try and get them to be empowered as well in these journeys. And the spirits will often empower you. So they will pass power to you and, and give you spiritual power, which then sort of boosts your energy, if you like. And so then you have access to that power and you can use it back, back in the, the sort of uh, ordinary reality aspect of the world as well. So that's a, a typical journey. Mm -hmm. What we often try and encourage people to do is to think a bit laterally. So if things present themselves in the journey, then um, try and think, well, what does that mean and how might I use that? So if, for instance, people are on top of the cliff in their journey, then the obvious thing to do is actually to jump off and fly. Um, and, and we usually give them enough information to know that it's okay to do that. And then some people will do that, you know, will be very keen to experience that sort of feeling and others will be less so. Um, but a lot of people, you know, do experience flying and, and find that, a, a you know, a, a, a very um, pleasant way actually to interact with the, the spirit and with the journey space. And then we have to get them to focus more on tasks rather than flying and having fun with their spirits all the time. So it's a, <laughs> a slight, slight double-edged sword. Um, so those are the sorts of typical journeys that we would do with new people. Um, over time, we are then getting them more to try and think on their uh, you know, own feet and uh, be responsible for making up their intention or understanding how to set the intention, how to tailor the intention in the journey, perhaps. And we always give people, you know, a, a number of sort of rules such as, well, in a particular situation, think what else is it that you could do in this context? And there's usually something that suggests itself and people often don't think of it. So um, if there's a, a, a female deity with a cauldron that she's stirring, you know, then obvious thing to do is actually to, to get into the cauldron uh, or to at least drink, drink, drink from it, you know, yeah, that, that, yeah. that would be, a, you know, an obvious thing to do. Um, you're being presented with an opportunity and then it's sometimes not that, that uh, overt or sometimes it's something that's a little bit edgy and so you're being tested in some sense as to whether you would actually consider doing that. Uh, whether you would walk through the firewall that's sort of separating you from somebody that needs help. So there's a number of these sorts of types of tests that, that actually can be inserted into the journey. Can so, you ask your spirit? Like, I wouldn't have gone into the cauldron. I would have looked in and said, what's in there? <laughs> <laughs> so is there a way to say to your spirit, what should I do? 
Yeah, you can, you can always ask the spirit and you always know intuitively and you should discern is the action I'm contemplating actually correct to do. Uh, in the same way that if you receive advice from a spirit, you also want to run that through this filter of your discernment as well to make sure that, yeah, is that something that makes sense? Um, and, you know, you, you never do anything that you wouldn't do of your own volition. So you then know that that's probably not a correct, uh, you know, instruction you received. The other things that we say to people are um, to ask questions such as, what am I not seeing? Um, which is a very good one to then try and um, you know, flush out other opportunities that may be present that are not obvious. And, uh, you know, sometimes that leads to some interesting journeys as well. Um, and then I always say to people, ask a stop question such as, what other opportunities are there for healing? Uh, and then again, other things may present themselves, may suggest themselves for either your own healing or indeed for you to actually uh, help spirits to heal other entities uh, within the journey itself. Some of the biggest healings, um, or maybe personally, this is what I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I'm exposing myself here. Um, shadow work and uh, removing blocks. And then there's the soul retrieval, the destiny retrieval. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of different types. Yes. So the sh shadow work, let's start with that, is something that most people um, need to address. So mm. everybody has shadow shadow aspects of themselves, uh, which are created by you. what is a shadow aspect? So, so basically, it's an aspect of yourself that you have um, suppressed. Um, so it could be a behavioral trait or... Um, a particular uh, area of expertise, um, uh, way of expressing yourself in the world. And, and those things are typically suppressed so that you can um, fit into an environment where they're disapproved of for some reason. Mm -hmm. So you, you often see this in terms of different types of uh, uh, ways of acting that people of different gender take. So if you're a female, you're not to, supposed to be powerful in the world. If you're, you're supporting male, the, the female. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, if you're a male, you're not supposed to sort of, you know, do certain types of activity which aren't viewed as manly. Um, so in Norse mythology, um, Odin was very clear that uh, magic wasn't something that men should do. It wasn't seen as manly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was, was wow. quite quite an interesting example of that. So yeah. um, we 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 we. But you don't suppress... find a problem with that. You don't no, no, find no, that uh, that men have an inability to do it or a harder time. No, so I mean, so, you're a guy. You're doing it. <laughs> I, I'm doing it. The, the, to be honest with you, the girls find it easier. Um, they're more right brains. They're more visionary in some sense. They're more they're willing less to. Dense they're getting in touch energy, with their yeah. feelings and their emotions, and and there, there are a lot of aspects that make it easier for them to actually do this type of work. Uh, to be mm -hmm. honest, now that's not to say the men can't do it, and uh, you know a lot of men can. Um, it depends where you travel to as well. So if you, for instance, go to um, some traditional locations, you will see that most people who are practicing the work tend to be men. In other cases, most of the people are, are, are female. And, and indeed, in some cultures, the shamanic practitioners and shamans were female. Uh, they're the main people that were doing the work. Uh, in the US, it's probably sort of 50-50 or indeed 60-40 in favour of the girls. So most of the workshops I've been to in the States, that's the typical composition of the audience. Uh, mm. And I've got very good friends who are, you know, uh, female and male. Um, most of my 
um, students and, and the colleagues, the people I work with um, are female. Um, and, uh, that's yeah, I'm not too sure why that is. I, I think it's partly because I'm willing to sort of work with girls and, and actually have a preference to do that. And so I um, naturally, I sort of sent girls by spirit, if you like, I think that's, a, um, and, and then I, I, I work with them. And uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we have uh, a wonderful time. And I find that work very rewarding, actually trying to empower females. Right. And females, uh, when, when I've, you know, looked at the energy, um, women, men have a denser energy. Yeah, they're harder exactly. to read. They're, they're harder to get through. It's just a denser energy. And yeah. that, I, I guess, can kind of impact Indeed, um, yeah. when you're working on the energetic field, uh, energetic side. But back to shadow work. I don't want to back to shadow work. That. Sorry, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, so, so we, we've suppressed these parts of ourselves, parts of our energy. Uh, that creates a dynamic tension in us, and it, it tends to lead to the inappropriate behaviour at the worst possible time. So, let's say that um, anger is one of the things that you've suppressed, which is very common. It's a very common shadow part, mm-hmm. um, and there are reasons that people suppress be that. Polite, you know, be polite. You know, people aren't angry in this family whatever it is you're you're getting this feedback that it's inappropriate so so people bottle up the anger and then it will erupt at the worst possible moment in public usually um and and so that, <laughs> yeah. that's that's not good obviously so we have to deal with that and the way we deal with it is and and there are you know psychotherapeutic techniques for doing shadow work uh, we can do it shamanically and essentially what we're doing is we're trying to um reintegrate that piece of us bring it fully out and express it in a more appropriate way so that um rather than anger you know that may be expressed as appropriate leadership for instance so there's a um a number of different ways that we would look at using that energy in uh, a different way when we retrieve the shadow parts as well, uh, we uh, shadow aspects of ourselves, we sometimes get abilities back that we've uh, also hidden. So creativity is something that is very commonly in the shadow also. So one of the things I do is work with people who are writers. And one of the things that we are very sort of keen on doing is trying to identify different forms of block. And one of the most common is that people actually have got their creativity in their shadow. So that's that's an important if, uh, aspect. In the shadow, can you always see who your shadow self is, or do you have to ask your power, spirit, or power animal? So please some show people, me my shadow. Some people are aware of what it is. There are different ways of identifying positive and negative shadow parts because it can be both. So mm-hmm. um, uh, in some types of work, you would read a list, for instance, of of. Um, single words that describe negative or positive and, and those terms are, are slightly difficult as well we shouldn't be working you dualities in that way well. and 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 that will give you some clue the ones that you react to strongly are it's a good indication that that's one of your shadow parts um, you can also journey to be sort of shown a shadow part and it will appear and, and from its behavior you get a pretty good idea of what, what it is and what it's about mm-hmm. um, most people will have an idea of, of some of the things that uh, they put in the shadow others may come as a bit of a surprise to them um, or you could just again ask the, the spirit to actually you know explain to you and do the shadow retrieval on your behalf so when you have the helping spirits then they're, they're of great assistance in in doing this work in different ways 
How hard is it? You know, especially the shadow part you don't like. <laughs> How so hard it, is that? <laughs> in, integrating a shadow part is, you know, usually done in a public manner of some sort. So, and if people are asking you to do something like recite a piece of uh, writing that you've just done that describes your shadow part and how you're going to work with that energy more appropriately in the future, yeah, that, that can rub a lot of people up the wrong way. Um, singing in public is <laughs> difficult <laughs> for a lot of people yeah. uh, and, and worst of all, dancing. And so a lot of people use dance as a medium of expressing shadow. Uh, uh, very, very effective way of working, actually. And yeah, when you say to people, you know, today we're going to be doing some dancing uh people's faces fall um and you explain <laughs> that no it's, it's actually it's very good you know don't worry yeah. um and and being able to express things publicly is part of this sort of owning and being willing to express these shadow aspects of ourselves so it's actually part of the healing so if it's anger you wouldn't want to express being angry would you or would you just discuss it like it's over there you, you you would you would um, typically have um, merged with that energy is the best way to describe it. So you you have the anger energy with you. Let's say it's anger, and you would then demonstrate the anger. And and if you're dancing, that may be with sort of rapid, sudden, powerful movements, for instance. A little uh, rage. It's, yeah, it's a way it's a way of sort of indicating the nature, of the energy that you're working with. But you're trying to integrate that energy into yourself. You're expressing it publicly in a more appropriate way. And eventually that the way you're expressing will change. It will change into one of these more appropriate forms of expression. And it, it, it's different for different people. So obviously the opposite of a, a negative, in quotes, um, sort of uh, behavior or emotion is not necessarily the one that you think. So, you know, a lot of people will think that the opposite of, uh, you know, love is, is hate. Um, mm -hmm. Most people would say it's probably fear. Other people have different views of what the other spectrum of, of, of that, that, uh, that, that duality is. So the, the, is that universal or would it be for me, it would be fear for somebody else, it would be hate or is it universal? No, it, it, to some extent, it is personal. There are some conventional wisdoms about usually it will be this interpretation, you know, for a, a, you know, a significant portion of people. But again, that's not to say that that's what it means for you. So we always have to remember that we're dealing with individuals and they will have, you know, different views of what is the right correspondence for this plant for me. Um, or, you know, what is the appropriate expression of anger or jealousy um, and the way that I should be using that energy and expressing it. And it will be a different positive aspect of that energy for different individuals. Um, soul retrieval is a big part. You know, I, a lot of people who think of shamanism will think of soul retrieval. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then one of the questions I do have on soul retrieval can do you ever go into past lives with that or is that something that everything's current everything's present so there is no going to a past life for it so yeah, i'll give so, it back to you with those million <laughs> questions <laughs> that's okay that's okay so um soul retrieval <laughs> is very powerful work it's very fundamental work and most people need soul retrieval so Soul parts, which are bits of your energy, are lost, um, often in childhood, sometimes in teenage years, sometimes later in life. 
And it's as a result of um, either traumatic events, uh, relationship breakup, um, profound grief, uh, accidents, that, that type of uh, event that leads a part of you to feel more comfortable without you than with you for whatever reason. And those parts can then wander off and they can sort of um, be in any location in spirit because they are in spirit. Um, they're, they're not sort of in, in the, the physical reality aspect uh, at that point. Um, is it still connected to you, though? Is it not necessarily? Like a shadow? Um, it, no, it, it depends. It depends on the uh, reason for that piece leaving, how close it is to you, not in sort of physical sense, but some pieces are, are close and near to you. Others are much further away. Others Can you give me an want... example of that? I'm um... driving down here. <laughs> I know. So, 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 so let, let's say that some parts um, of you have left as a result of frustration with something. They're going to be relatively easy for you to actually call back to yourself. So one of the things that we often do is centering where bits of our mental energy is scattered around our head. Mm -hmm. And we will call that back into ourselves and we feel more whole, more sort of... Um, uh, focus, if you like, we're more able to think straight. Um, and so that's, that's a sort of not an example of soul retrieval, although a soul part could actually come back to us in that manner. If we're calling things to us, we may get things that are close to us mm -hmm. in the same way that if we're removing cords, for instance, uh, minor cords are very easy uh, to actually get rid of, but the more major ones, less so. So the more difficult soul parts are the ones that are left in, in very traumatic circumstances that don't want to return to us because they don't trust us. They think we're not going to protect them or we don't want them or we don't love them, whatever it is. And they, they Do can we be, want them? <laughs> we, Maybe we, they're right. We, Do we, we should, want them? We should want them, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and without all of those parts, you're not whole. If you're not whole, you can't live authentically. That affects so you are without you are without, without yeah you yeah. definitely want them back okay. um and 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 that they you know you you can get them back don't worry um so the parts that are further away for want of a better expression um can hide um they can be difficult to persuade to come back to the person you're trying to retrieve them for if you're doing that as a practitioner um they can sometimes be taken and be being held by something else and then you have to work with um, the entity that is holding the part, and there's usually some sort of bargaining process to get the part released. Um, you don't take them by force. Sometimes you have to offer healing or some form of acknowledgement to the entity holding the part, and then you can retrieve it. So it's quite a complex process, but it's something that's useful for everybody. Um, and it has very major benefits so when you receive soul parts back. Um, again, you have more of your energy, you're more able to do things, uh, you get all sorts of positive benefits. You often again get these uh, innate traits that you may have lost come back through the soul retrieval process. You often receive memories that, that you, you've totally forgotten about something because the memory is with the part. Um, often associated with the reason why the part left. So the memories sometimes are difficult to deal with, but uh, again, that's part of the healing process. I hate to tell you this, but we have run out of time in the middle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, I want to I want to make sure that you have time to say where people can get your book and get hold of you. Sure, and, um, sure. If you can tell us 
And and yeah. we might have to come back and revisit. We've missed fairies and elemental spirits. And I think we talked a little bit, maybe not of spirits of place, but tell us yeah. where we can get hold of your book. And, and sure. Get hold of I'm delighted to talk to you again. Um, so the, the book is available everywhere. So the usual sort of publishers um, mm -hmm. find it online easily. So book depository, Amazon, et cetera. Um, to contact me, whoever wants to, my personal website is marknelson.io. Uh, and you can sort of get in touch with me there. I'm more than happy to answer people's questions or help people. Um, I sometimes will travel, uh, planning to go to the States next year. Obviously, I sort of mainly teach in, in Asia and in Hong Kong in particular, mm -hmm. uh, but we, we will do remote healing work if people are interested in that. So by all means, if people have questions or want to get in touch or want a recommendation for a teacher in their area, uh, more than happy to help people with that. Do you teach or can you teach over Zoom? Is that not yes, something? Yes, you, 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 you okay. can. And that's, that's in fact, one of the things I'll be doing from probably the end of this year onwards. So uh, uh, with a couple of other people, we're setting up a collective uh, presence online to do exactly that. So, yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for being on the show. It is fascinating. Um, so many more questions, of course. <laughs> but thank you for being here. And thanks for staying up so late to be on the show. I know That's, on your side of the world, it's pretty late over there. It's no so, problem. Thank you very much for having me on a View Through the Veil. It's I been really very pleasant talking it. to you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.